This is a segment from The Annex, an academic sociology-themed podcast. For more, visit us on the web at theannexpodcast.com. I, I have a banter item, but I'd really rather I didn't because I'd rather this whole thing never happened. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I very recently um, got to know the Bruin Republicans. And um, I literally, like a few days ago, I went to lunch with them and, I, you know, I stood up and gave some remarks and talked about academia and all sorts of stuff like that. And, uh, and then, you know, one of the things I did is I gave them a very brief synopsis of Amy Bender's book and told them about the contrast between the Harvard Republican. I mean, she calls them like elite Western mm-hmm. Eastern elite or something like that. Cause the Harvard IRB made her, but everybody knows and not from Amy, but from the students themselves. Uh, I'm sorry, Bender and Wood. I, I should make clear that she yep. has co-author on that. Anyway, uh, you know, be like the Harvard students who are just like, you know, let's discuss ideas and that sort of thing. Don't be like the University of Colorado Boulder students who are just like, you know, let's stir shit up. And uh, and then I said very specifically, in case the point wasn't clear, do not invite Milo <laughs> Yiannopoulos. And so <laughs> what did I see yesterday, uh, you know, evening, but, uh, oh, the Bruin Republicans have invited Milo Yiannopoulos. And, and this is like after his heyday and, you know, after the you know, apologies for pederasty thing, which I actually think is like among the least of the bad things he's done. Um, although what did seem to be the the thing that got him uh, kicked out of plate society, mm-hmm. kind of like Roy Moore, where, you know, there's much worse things uh, than him, you know, being banned from a shopping mall. <laughs> Moving on. Well, I'm not saying I have somebody who was banned from a shopping mall and only banned from a shopping mall over for dinner, but, uh, you know, I, I'm saying compared to his just, uh, you know, total lawlessness and, you know, um, being kicked out, you know, censured by, uh, <laughs> you know, this. Just anyway. wait until your daughter turns so, 15 and a 35 year old guy tries to approach uh, We'll uh, see how you. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying I like that, but I, I, I do care about that sort of thing. I'm not implying that I don't. I'm just saying that there's also very serious issues with the rule of yeah. law. And, you know, violating court orders and that sort of thing. Anyway, um, and his kind of general, uh, you know, weird um, politics of shock. Anyway, so, you know, last night I look at, uh, I'm I'm looking, I see that they'd invited him. And so, um, you know, I wrote them a letter and said, uh, you know, this is a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea because it's the wrong thing to do because this is not somebody who's out there spreading ideas, even controversial ideas. This is somebody where his sole purpose is to upset people. And he says horrible things in order to upset people to which there's no real content. And I draw a strong distinction between people. And I mentioned uh, people like say Heather McDonald, who they invited last year, uh, you know, where she says things that people disagree with and she attracts protesters, but she's not doing it specifically to upset people. She's doing it because she has a point that she feels is important in entirely good faith. Um, and, but, you know, I was hoping to send it to them in time to cancel it, but because it had already gone through and been announced, I figured I just send it to my friends at the weekly standard and they published it. And, um, as of the time we started this podcast, uh, you know, it was apparently getting a lot of traffic and it (laughs) tweeted or retweeted like a thousand times. And, uh, and I actually had to unplug my office phone cause you know, when I walked in, mm. uh, I saw that it was full of voicemail so, uh, <laughs> we could record this podcast. 
Next up is the just, Tucker Carlson. Plug your, yeah, you should just unplug your office phone. It's a matter of policy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I, I looked at, I, I walked in and I saw the little, you know, voicemail indicator, and I'm like, okay, the only time I get voicemail is once it is uh, when it's daylight savings time, <laughs> and the like voicemail administrator is announcing that there's going to be daylight savings time, and so it's like if it's anything else, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, this, this, or this is good. Or dear professor, I'm not going to make the exam. That's the other one that I get. Oh no, 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 nobody. Nobody under sixty will e- uh, call you. They're, they're, they're going to email. They'd so rather take the exam than speak on the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, what has been the response? What are you what, like? What? Well, for the most part, it's positive. Okay. Um, so, uh, the vast majority of what I was seeing on Twitter was people basically agreeing with me that you know uh, it's ill advised for the Bruin Republicans to invite him. Although I think there's also a very important caveat that I absolutely believe they uh-huh. have the right mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And I would take that to the point of saying that not only do they have the right to, but I don't believe in a heckler's veto. And so I think that if there is a disruptive protest, that the police should use force if necessary to prevent that uh, disruptive Mm. protest. If there's a non-disruptive protest outside the event, I think that's fine and great. Um, And I think those people uh, are just as entitled to voice their disapproval as I did uh, of Yiannopoulos. as the uh, Bruin Republicans are to uh, host him. But, you know, there's a big difference between things that you can do and you have the right to do and things that you ought to do. And um, this is, you know, to me, this is a case of free speech and there's no question about that. Uh, And anything I'm about to say does not mitigate that. And like I said, I think the police should prevent a heckler's veto if necessary. But it's also very low value speech. So Gabriel, no, sir. So yeah. I find this fascinating. So you actually believe that p- the police should use force for someone being a heckler? Well, I don't think that they should take out their service revolver and <laughs> blow their brains out. But uh, I think that someone who disrupts a speech, uh, I think someone who disrupts a speech should be escorted out by the police. And if they refuse to leave, the police should drag them out. Okay. Because I think otherwise you, you have a heckler's veto. Yeah. I, I, and, and, I, and I think, it, you know, to the extent possible, this should be as not injurious as possible. I mean, um, I, I you know. get that. But, you know, at the same time, I kind of, I, I think people who who have weapons should not be the ones in charge of forcibly removing someone from 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 a place in which they're heckling people simply because things can escalate. So I just want to put that caveat out there. I I agree with you in that I actually yeah. think people should be allowed to speak and if people try and shut down that speech, right? Um I think I think it's horrible, right? Because you know, next week it'll be someone else's turn, right? You know, virtuous yeah. or non-virtuous. I think everyone has a right to speak and then we get to then talk through the merits of that speech afterwards, right? But I don't believe that people should be hurt. Um, I, well, I I'd certainly that. prefer that they're not hurt. And I'd prefer that when the police say, okay, you, you know, you, you've, shouted, you've shouted your objections for 30 seconds, it's time to go, that the person walk out. And then if they refuse to walk out, I prefer that they be dragged out without injury, you know, but push comes to shove. I think that you, you, if you don't have, um, you know, the police there to prevent heckler's vetoes, you ultimately allow a heckler's veto. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I, but the important thing is that we agree on 90% of this. Yes. And I think also too, the difference is like, if we parse through it is that, you know, the person speaking who's given the platform, that's free speech. Whereas, the person heckling, that's a verbal, uh, 
what do they call it? Not action, but I'm trying to think of the, um, the legalese for that. And that is actually something that's subject to, uh, that's not, that's not supported by the first amendment. So. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean that you could get into technicalities. I'm sure first amendment lawyers have gotten into a lot of this, but you know, like I said, I a hundred percent support the right of people to protest immediately outside an event. Mm -hmm. Uh, as long as they don't, you know, try and rush the stage or make it impossible for people who want to attend the event to come in. Mm -hmm. And that, that has nothing to do with how much I sympathize with the people on stage or how much I sympathize with the people outside. What's the appeal of this guy? Well, that's a very good question, right? And uh, I think that, you know, his entire appeal is, uh, you know, like that old saying about, um, you know, Dadaism and, you know, modern artists in general, where their whole shtick was that Petra Le Bourgeois, you know, shocked the middle classes. Mm-hmm. I think his whole appeal is, uh, you know, a paterless social justice warriors. His whole shtick is absolutely, you know, <laughs> and um, and I think I, I can understand why people like him. Right. I can understand why if you're in an ideological minority in campus and you see people around you making ridiculous claims and expecting them to uh, be, you know, completely respected and getting indignant when they're not, that these are fun people to make fun of. Right. I mean, um, campus is nothing if not full of Margaret Dumont's. And so it's natural that a Marx brother will come along (laughs) and, uh, you know, uh, you know, try and upset them because it's fun to upset killjoys, right? I mean, if somebody is completely humorless and angry, it, there's nothing more amusing than to upset them. So I can understand that appeal. I just think it's childish. Um, and, you know, even if it is done, I think it should be done in a way where the content itself is not um, despicable. And this is why I, you know, I, I think it's fine for them to invite somebody like Ben Shapiro where, you know, you read between the lines, it's pretty obvious that the reason to invite Ben Shapiro is because it upsets people. Um, but I also don't think he's a creep. Uh, and so I, I think that's acceptable. Uh, and, and in fact, fine. And I, I have no problems with it whatsoever. Um, but, you know, when you have somebody where his whole point is just to say outrageous things in order to get a rise out of people, you can understand why that's fun to annoy people. It's fun to piss people off, especially if they, they, you know, inevitably rise to it. Um, but can I, can I, can I offer sort of a naive non-expert diagnosis about all of this trolling is like, it's also like, that's what you do when you don't have policy ideas. I mean, it's (laughs) like, well, I, I don't really have anything to offer policy wise. So let's just get people, let's just talk about Mexicans and make, uh, liberals mad. Well, I think there's something to that. I wouldn't say that there's no policy ideas out there. And we've had this conversation a few times and I'm not going to tell you guys go read Yuval Levin again, <laughs> although I guess that's, you know, but, um, although I guess I just did. What, what's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's unfair. I, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll withdraw yeah. that. I'll withdraw this slight. No, 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 no. Well, well, listen, I mean, here, I, I think it is fair in the sense of if there is a problem that in certain sectors of the right, the, um, well, actually, I'll, I'll be broader than this. We've seen a broad shift towards negative partisanship, mm-hmm. like across the country, and in fact, in some respects, internationally, because you see the same trends in Great Britain. I don't know about other countries, but in those, you know, two English-speaking democracies, you've definitely seen a rise in negative part uh, partisanship, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it also characterized is uh, 
Canada too, because you know you occasionally uh, hear someone refer to like Stephen Harper, and people talk about him as if he's like you know the second coming of Adolf Hitler, um, which just seems ridiculous uh, to me. So you have this rise in negative partisanship where people have a very strong uh, affiliation with their partisan identity, but it almost entirely consists of hating the other side mm. without a substantive thing. And I think this is something that characterizes uh, the campus right. Um, but I think it's also something that characterizes the campus left to a certain extent, where you know, a big part of it is just opposing various things that they see as you know, oppressive. Uh, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. And likewise, the campus right is almost entirely oriented now towards opposing things that they see as you know, politically correct nonsense. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to make a connection between there's been all this conversation about porn and how tweens and teens are learning about sex from watching free porn, which is not <laughs> a good idea. Um, and it, and what it does is it fills you with these ideas about, you know, these tropes of masculinity and domination Mm -hmm. and submission. And you think, okay, that's what's, that's what sex is. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so basically I'm blaming the internet for everything. (laughs) Um, So from porn to let's model, let's model how you get a point across, right? To the other side, right? What you do is you say really snarky things and you don't care whether or not in doing so you're dehumanizing people. In fact, you get tons of laughs for it and you also get tons of followers for it. And people think you're a rock star without really thinking about the content of it, right? And so- there you go. I'm blaming the internet. <laughs> okay, grandma. Think- <laughs> <laughs> That's a great uh, metaphor. But go ahead, Kimberly. Yeah, go, yeah. yeah, no, I was. I think that the uh, and there is that wider that point about this wider context or wider audience matters for the likes of Milo as well, right? Because there's on the one hand there's there's the dynamic that Gabriel was just describing that unfolds and has unfolded for decades just on on campuses as you have people of different political views, you know, nineteen and twenty year olds shockingly getting head up about things but on, on the other hand um so 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 on that on that level the audience is the ucla students and their factions within them mm. uh but but more broadly than ucla is itself is is the is the show mm. and you have people like milo as a sort of nationally bankrolled organizationally backed uh you know somebody's paying for him or to to travel right. around the, the place uh, and, and the, Mm. Yeah, and and that and um, and the and the goal is to sort of use the campus setting as the sort of demonstration point to 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 show a third audience. You know, you're the people you want, I guess. You know, Fox supporting you viewers. ultimately. You're saying, Fox yeah, exactly. Viewers. You know, yeah. and and, and uh, <laughs> you know, have, having their views confirmed about terrible, uh, you know, terrible things that go, go on on campus, and that's something that you know, Milo is merely the worst of a wide range it runs from him all the way along to i saw who was it like john shape this morning complaining you know going on about the the decline of uh uh free speech rights at brown because i think 11 or 15 undergraduates had signed an open letter calling for somebody not to be invited and it's like so so, you know there's there's like a little this this little this national industry of you know let's explain how students at Oberlin or Brown <laughs> or conservatives at UCLA uh, or Berkeley are are destroying or defending uh, Western civilization. It's it's a little uh, 
it's a little tiresome. I think you're totally yeah. right about that. But also, oh, I've is heard- he so right? We should delete this bit. <laughs> 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 You're not tiresome, and I, I, and I have to say, Gabe, I admire you know a, a, a person of your intellectual seriousness. I know that you uh, you really mean it when you know if you have if you're willing to write an open letter, uh, which is just one step short of um, writing a "Why I'm Leaving Los Angeles" uh, <laughs> yeah. piece. Um, then, uh, yeah, I, I should have put it in medium instead of the weekly standard. <laughs> <laughs> and I fully agree with you. These guys, I mean, you know, everyone's in it for the lulls. And, uh, yeah. and that's really that gets it. That gets a little annoying after a while. But al- but also, like I am so tired of seeing the National Review take on student newspapers. It's like punching down a little bit. No, like it's become, like a twenty year old who is repeating something that he heard in his class from like a national political you know publication. I I, I find they take on teenagers. So like Andrew Sullivan had a point about this in, uh, I forget where it was, the Atlantic or something, um, just like last week, where he was saying, kind of raising this point of, um, well, why do we care what a bunch of dumb undergrads say? Mm. Uh, and you know, we're finding the 20 most immature undergrads on campus and acting as if it's the end of Western civilization. And his argument was, well, because these people then go and get jobs and, you know, expect to change the institutions they end up in. And you can see this shift in journalism where uh, a lot of journalism, you know, it, there's the interesting thing in that the Internet hasn't really decreased the amount of journalism that's out there, but it has radically changed it. Right. Journalism in the 1990s was mostly local news coverage, whereas uh, journalism now, a, a very high proportion of it is. Did you see this outrageous thing that happened? Mm. Here's a reaction to it. You know, I think I think it's an attack on the academy through the students. And to my mind, like I see that and I see the constant attacks on uh, on the journalistic profession and I see it on uh, police now. And it's just basically uh, I, I feel like it's uh, a lot of this is happening in a, a uh, work a grander working the ref context where it's you're just delegitimizing other sources of information. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess I, Andrew, I, be a little careful. I mean, you know, if you ask me, there's a whole generation of forty something journos or early fifty something journos, like uh, for everybody from Andrew Sullivan to Katie Royfe, who are you know running the same shtick that they ran in as 22 year olds in 1995 yeah <laughs> they're still talking about reliving political correctness date rape uh yeah. you know everything yeah. it's it's all everything old is new again so so what do you guys think i i actually have mixed feelings about this idea so you know in my piece i talked about how there's a lack of adult supervision mm. um precisely because um you, you don't have uh, of the conservative students that precisely because there's so few conservative faculty, you, you don't have the kind of adult supervision. And so they end up just kind of being raised by wolves Mm. and, you know, without an adult in the room to say, no, that's not a good idea. You know, the Pied Piper comes from the Mercers and says, you know, uh, you know, it'll be a lot of lulls and it'll trigger the libs if we bring in Milo. Um, By the way, I don't know if the Mercers uh, are underwriting this or not. My understanding is that they kind of cut things off with them, but they were responsible for his big tour uh, last year. Anyway, uh, so, so I, I, I kind of find that appealing. Obviously I do cause I wrote it, but then on the other hand, you know, as we were just talking about with like the Brown students, you have, um, left-wing students, uh, you know, saying crazy things mm-hmm. and 
you know, there's no shortage of um, left-wing faculty on campus, the vast, vast majority of whom are center left, not far left, and very responsible in their attitude towards politics. Mm. Um, but the adult supervision doesn't seem to help that much uh, with the left-wing students. So maybe it's just kids are going to be crazy, whether or not. Yeah, I mean, when I was uh, when I was an, an undergraduate um, in Ireland in uh, the distant past, uh, sure. I was involved in the, um, the the college debating society there, which is a sort of a big activity in the UK and, and, and Ireland. And um, one year people invited, um, and I was peripheral to it, uh, David Irving to uh-huh. come and, uh, and give a talk, the Holocaust mm-hmm. denier and uh, general purpose, you know, Nazi historian. And um, that was mostly a decision carried out by a bunch of, uh, you know, young gobshites basically uh, who, who, were, uh, who were all sort of by the standards of Irish society at the time, pretty liberal uh-huh. uh, and, uh, and, and all the rest of it, but also um, just thought this would be a grand old sort of bit of controversy. And it was a really stupid thing to do. Uh, and, um, and everyone, you know, there was, it didn't go well. And uh, he, everything ended up not, he was actually, he was, he was heckled out of it and, uh, and ended up not speaking. The police intervened and he was sort of whisked away before he could speak. Uh, and, and so on the one hand, uh, nobody, got you know the the completely nil benefit of hearing him speak on yeah. a topic they knew nothing about anyway yeah. could, could, couldn't conceive engage with him you know in a way that would rebut him and then on the other hand he got lots of free publicity and uh, and the benefit of um seeming like some sort of martyr so uh, and that really had little to do with um you know that was that was just a case of the the politics of the thing of the person were just orthogonal to the uh to, to what the people who were organizing it believed um they were just young and stupid or we were just young and stupid yeah that's kind of symbiotic relationship reminds me of how the uh the George Wallace campaign used to make sure that hippies would show up to protest because, you know, it was beneficial to him and his position. Hi, everyone. This is Gabriel with a little postscript to that segment. When we recorded Wednesday around 1 p.m. Eastern time, my weekly standard piece had been out for a few hours and was getting a lot of attention, but the Bruin Republicans had not yet decided to rescind the invitation. Later that evening, the Bruin Republicans met and voted to rescind the invitation to Yiannopoulos. Their statement on their Facebook page, was explicit that they made this decision because of internal dissent among their officers. As such, I think it's important to stress the important role of Mariella Muro, the officer who recognized that the talk was counterproductive and asked my help. I also want to stress that this really was the student's decision. And in service of that, I'm going to read a passage from the Los Angeles Times story on this incident. When an official student organization invites a speaker, according to standard procedures, The administration must honor that invitation no matter how horrendous or intellectually vacuous. We also do not allow protests to become so disruptive as to silence the invited speaker from communicating with a willing audience. That said, we are not shy about expressing our own values. I explicitly and publicly reject inflammatory trolling designed to trick students into feeling desperate celebrity. Let's have a serious conversation about immigration or any other matter instead of taking the bait. That passage sounds like it's from the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, but it's actually from Jerry Kang, our Vice Chancellor for Diversity here at UCLA. And I agree with every word of it. I'm proud of the university for allowing students the freedom to host ill-conceived and and controversial speech, uh, just as I am of Mariella for convincing her fellow students to refrain from using that freedom to host odious speech, and likewise of the club for ultimately being receptive to her moral suasion. For more, visit us on the web, theannexpodcast.com.